This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, and thanks for being with us all week long. The number to call to be on, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, and, of course, we got a lot going on uh, today. There's, uh, well, I mean, we're not, for me personally, we got to do the, uh, get ready for the Saturday night show, so that's going to be great. We're preparing for that Saturday at 8 and 1, One Nation on Fox News Channel. Also coming fresh off Fox and Friends, a lot going on. And we know the uh, President of the United States is desperate to have some good news uh, come down the pike because he's not had a lot of it, and a lot of it is his own self-inflicted wounds. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we would tell you this morning is that we still assess that Mariupol is contested, that it hasn't been taken by the Russians, and that there's still an active Ukrainian resistance. So they continue to fight for that city. Yeah, uh, not much to hold on to right now. Russia is desperate for a May 9th victory, and they think they have it with a win at Mariupol. Let's hope the Russian people and the world realize this war of choice has been anything but glorious for the mass killer Vladimir Putin as Joe Biden gives $800 million more in lethal aid to help slay the Russian bear. We'll have the latest. Number two. In the past, I was the lonely voice on this, but now we got Democratic senators. Uh, Democratic members of Congress that are not only looking at the P for policy, but they're also looking at the P for politics. Yeah, This is not good for Democrats in November. Henry Cuellar weighing in. Disaster. Even the Dems can, can recognize it. That's the crashing of our southern border, which is about to become a multiple country invasion should Title 42 go away by May 23rd. As eight Democratic senators and 13 House members on the Democratic side put the administration's wake-up call to the disaster they created and is about to get worse. Number one. People have wanted to deal with the special district for decades, but Disney had the political power to prevent it for decades. What's changed is by trying to bring California values to Florida. Floridians have said, all right, you're a guest in our state. Maybe you don't deserve those special privileges anymore. Exactly. That is Randy Fine uh, talking about that. And Randy Fine is uh, in the uh, state legislature. Just a signature way. That's how close Republicans are to winning their battle against corporate woke culture and the radicals that force it uh, on us. Governor DeSantis claps back at Disney's attacks on his parents' rights bill. That's right. This will lead to their loss of self-rule in the state of Florida. How I believe DeSantis just helped save the American way in a couple of ways. So first off, just to outline what's happening. I did not know this to the extent it was there, but Walt Disney cut a great deal. He basically said, you got a bunch of swamp land in the middle of Orlando. I'll take it. 
don't like California. They just want to put all these hotels right around me. And if you've been out to Disneyland out in California, it is really suffocating. Orlando, they still haven't used all the land that they have. So they filled in the swamp and they built Disneyland, uh, Disney World as we know it today. Well, out of nowhere, Governor DeSantis decides he's had enough of this gender fluidity talk in our in our K through uh, 12 schools. He's had enough of talking about sexual identification, hormone blockers. It's not going to happen. So he put together a narrowed down bill that just would stop talking about sexual genitalia and all this stuff, K through third grade. The most reasonable piece of legislation possible. It makes you think to yourself, do we really have to write that? The answer, sadly, is yes, because you have teachers with their own agenda who want to jam that down people's throats. So 150 companies allowed the mislabeling of this bill, the no say, don't say gay bill, to have them condemn this bill. So 150 companies, including American Airlines and Marriott, condemn it. Well, Disney didn't. So they had a mini walkout at Disney. So then the CEO gets on uh, in front of his camera and says, I apologize to everyone, and it'll never happen again. I will do everything to fight against this bill. He meets with the governor. Then he releases a, uh, what he thinks is a summary of their private conversation, how they're going to look to change it. And Governor DeSantis goes, that's not what we talked about. I didn't look to change it. That's not going to happen. So, in fact, I will call you out for saying you're going to fight against me. I'm going to jeopardize that autonomous status that allows you to have your own fire department, your own water bill, build without any type of permits. When Disney wants to build a building or a new park or expand a roller coaster, they do it without the states, the city, the county, the the countries. Okay. They do their own application process. They got about 38, uh, 38 lobbyists in Washington, D.C. to make sure no one changed any of that. Well, that changed when the governor says, I'm going to put out to relinquish, take this from you. And then the House passed it, the Senate passed it. Now it's official. Here's Chris Sproles. He joined me last night. I filled in for Jesse. He's the Florida Speaker of the House. Cut two. You know, after they came out and said what they said, and I agree with you completely, um, the statements were just totally outrageous. Um, they misled Floridians. They misled Americans about what the Florida legislature did to protect kids in kindergarten through third grade. Um, we started looking at those taxing districts, and today we, we acted, uh, you know, affirmatively to make sure that in the next year that they will expire. Yeah. Uh, it will be June of 2023. It is huge news. And so far, no statement from Disney. I think this CEO has got to go. Bob Iger is 71 years old. He's evidently on a yacht with uh, Brian Grazer, the legendary TV producer, partner of Ron Howard. I'm sure he's keeping track of this. At 71 years old, they're going to need him back. Although it'll show that Disney can't live without him. That'll be the issue. But remember, this is the CEO had that clash with Scarlett Johansson about payouts and revenue, been that she was built in the back end for uh, movie revenue. And when the movie didn't air into theaters, it went streaming. They didn't want to compensate her. So they had a huge fight. Bob Iger came back to help out during uh, the pandemic. This guy was insulted by that. Evidently, they're not even talking. I only bring that up because there's got to be some resolve here. They, they make like uh, an incredible $5 billion in local and state revenue on an annual basis. $5 billion. I'm not saying that's going away, especially with 50 million visitors. But things are going to change. Here's Josh Krashauer. He says, be cautious. Cut six. But he's taking a big risk because DeSantis could have just pocketed the win. He got the, the parental rights bill passed pretty comfortably. He could have moved on, worked with Disney on other issues, and, and, and really won the, the larger battle. Instead, he's really picking a big fight that it could have uncertain implications. 
and could also push Disney in the arms of the Democrats, which might not be all that great for DeSantis's personal interests, and it might not be great for the larger culture war issues that are also at play here. Well, those woke uh, guys with nose rings and women with nose rings were the ones who caused this uh, havoc. No, They're not voting Republican. These big, big corporations are giving much more money to Democrats. So why are you going to bat for them? They're finally realizing that. A guy that definitely has... Presidential aspirations. Why they don't mention him, I don't know. The guy in Colorado, Jared Polis, he came into Fox Digital. He says, I think it's important for we can create a culture that goes against this kind of cancel culture that we're seeing. They look at what DeSantis is doing as cancel culture. And he says, you can because a company has a viewpoint you don't, it doesn't, that you don't like. It doesn't mean that the company should be penalized by politicians. If Florida, uh, Florida targets specific companies with legislation to hurt them because of political viewpoints, see a mass exit to companies. No. With political viewpoints, I don't want a major corporation fighting against legislation. And if you do, you're going to get some, you're going to get, they're going to clap back at you. That's it. I want to talk about Title 42. It's not the cure role at the border. It's not utilized enough, but allows people coming to the border without an absolute emergency uh, and uh, proof of refugee status to be turned around because of the pandemic. Most people are not vaccinated, so they get turned around. Thanks to Title 42. It's been in the books forever and now been implemented. Donald Trump put it on the books. Therefore, Joe Biden wants to take it off the books. It's going to evaporate May 23rd. In the middle of a pandemic, now people are queuing up in caravans in Honduras, in Guatemala, said to go through Mexico. They can do nothing to stop them. And we're going to get 18,000 a day streaming in. That's to your kids' classrooms, your town. Obviously, there's some criminals in the mix. They're breaking the system, and we're putting them on the glide path. There's a lot of people upset by this on the left, and maybe it's, it's only because of their political circumstances, and we have an election coming up. Joe Manchin says this is a dumb idea to repeal 42. Senator Mark Kelly, he's in, he's in huge trouble if they can get a good candidate to run against him in Arizona. So he's against it. Kristen Sinema put together legislation stopping this. Uh, John Tester, Senator uh, Masto, Ke- uh, Senator Bennett, uh, all against it. And there's a whole bunch of Democratic House members against it. Why is he doing it? And when Joe Biden's asked, he doesn't even understand the question. And it makes me just be reaffirmed that it's not even his policy. Listen to Joe Biden screw this up, cut eight. Are you considering delaying lifting Title 42? No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, uh, my uh, well, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department. Because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if, in fact, it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. Right. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. Here's the scary part. He came one out of his way, his administration, to rescind Title 42. He thinks we're talking about the mass mandate, which the CDC asked the Justice Department to sue and appeal that decision in court to release the mass mandate on public transportation. He's answering the wrong thing. We all make mistakes. I do in front of this microphone. But if I'm setting policy and I can't even reiterate it instinctively, that means so much to this country. The mass mandate. I will have my scientists look at Title 42. Scientists don't work on border issues. I don't know if you heard. But don't worry. Kamala Harris is in charge. Listen to Kamala Harris try to answer a question. And I'll warn you, I can't get through it all. But I'm going to let you hear how confused she is. Cut nine. Do you have any reaction to the latest sanctions from Russia 
that would bar uh, your entry into the country? And then second, on Title 42, would you be in favor of delaying the ending of it? Um, so let's be very clear about where we stand in terms of Russia. As far as I'm concerned, and I think objectively many people will agree that their invasion of Ukraine has not only been steeped in atrocities, but will prove to be a strategic failure for Russia. All right. And it goes on. And Eric just told me, and I saw this, and I saw some of it last night. It goes on for a minute. She says absolutely nothing, says the most fundamental things possible, and never said anything insightful, and doesn't want to answer a question. Then as she was leaving, she was asked about Title 42. She ignored it. She's in charge of the border. It's not up to you to ignore it. Here's Henry Cuellar. Does not ignore it. Could not ignore the FBI investigation targeting him either, which, by the way, they said he's not a target of. But they're trying to weaken him on the Democratic Party. They're actually trying to primary him. Cut 10. The administration should not only listen to immigration activists, but they need, they need to listen to border communities. Who's listening to the landowners? Who's listening to the, um, uh, to the judges, the, the county judges, the sheriffs, the mayors, and the border communities? And then finally, who's listening to the men and women in green and in blue, the ones that provide border security? Once the Title 42 is taken away, it provides an incentive uh, to the criminal organizations to say, hey, now we can promote this, we can market this, saying that the border is open, and they make a lot of money. Okay. He wants to get it done. He has some company. I don't want anyone to think that Title 42, if it stays in place, is actually doing anything at the border. Still getting 10000 a day coming through. Uh, all people that are going to just be woven into the system, and they're coming here not because they're desperate running from the mob or some drug cartel. They're like, hey, America looks better than Mexico. America looks better than Honduras. I think I'll come in. Instead of applying for a visa, admission, find out what kind of occupation would do, how you contribute to the country, they walk over the Rio Grande River. And he won't even enforce the Remain in Mexico policy. So at the very least, leave Title 42 in place because you're actually suing to make sure we all wear masks, showing that you believe on some level the pandemic is still happening. The pandemic is certainly happening at the border where most are coming through unvaccinated. Wouldn't you think? If you prefer to write me, do it. BrianKillMe.com. Just click on comments. Uh, also, if you want to get on the phone, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kill me Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What's our definition of success? Is it, as you just suggested, to get the Russians completely out of Ukraine? And if that's the definition, are you talking about where things stood two months ago or where things stood eight years ago? Do we want them to get completely out of the east and south and out of Crimea? 
Uh, that's, that's uh, shall we say, ambitious. Is it to make sure that Russia can't keep what it's gained this time over the last two months? Because right now they've gained a lot more than they had uh, two months ago when this thing began in, in February. Is it to get back to where we, we were? Mm -hmm. And then the question is, do we insist that this be a peace agreement? Are we comfortable with the possibility that there not, might not be any battleship Missouri ceremony here? Indeed, I find it really hard, to be honest, to imagine <coughs> some outcome that would be en enough for Russia, not too much for Ukraine. So I actually can't imagine. I don't have the imagination right now to imagine a formal peace agreement. Yeah, uh, it's going to be crazy because if it isn't, you think it's just going to be a simmering sore in the region where anything could happen at any moment. One thing is pretty clear. Uh, the the Russians, their barbarity and depravity is so terrible. Even the Chinese disagree. Yesterday, there was an Easter armistice offer have a pause on the fighting for Easter, and President Zelensky got rejected by Vladimir Putin. And just to have the humanitarian corridor, they say 2.5 to 5 million people are now under stress and duress within the country, and they're just looking for some corridors to get them out. They will not allow that, will the Russians. Meanwhile, they're just trying to celebrate some type of victory on May 9th. They think Mariupol will be that victory. They've already lost thousands of troops, maybe up to 20,000. There's nothing glorious about this fight. Please don't let them get away with it or any of your conversations this weekend. Uh, talk about how Vladimir Putin is prevailing in this. One thing I'm happy about, we are putting in more arms, another $800 million. I wonder where this money's coming from. I'm glad it's going. Here's Admiral James Stavridis, uh on what this um, uh, James Stavridis. In fact, let's just uh, amend that. Let's go with General Jack Keane. And he talks about uh, the risks that have to be taken in order to get this aid from Poland all the way down to the Donbass region. It is much harder. Cut 24. I'm hoping that we're doing everything we can to assist them and getting these supply lines and these munitions quickly to the to the forces right. that need them. And we may may have to take some risk to do that, you know, clandestinely or, or covertly by landing some of these supplies closer at night in airfields that don't even have lights on them and we can get in and get out. Certainly there's risk there because that means there's Americans are flying in Ukrainian airspace. But it, it is something we can do and we may indeed be doing. What I hope we are doing, and General Jack Keane does the Institute for the Study of War. And if you ever want to find out what's happening in this war, and I know most of our listeners do, but you don't want to just wait for the somebody to tell you what's happening, the ISW, it's ISW, they have the takeaways, the key movements, really uh, every two, two or three hours. What bothers me is I am not seeing Janet Yellen out there the way – we watched Mick Mulvaney out there when he was at OMB whip, whipping out the sanctions, telling him how, value, how valuable they are in combating the Russian aggression. Janet Yellen actually said this about European oil and gas, which is single-handedly funding the Russian war. Cut, 20, cut 27. Europe clearly needs to reduce its dependence on Russia with respect to energy. But we need to be careful when we think about um, – a complete European ban on, say, oil imports that would clearly um, raise global oil prices. Yeah, I think it's worth it. We'll pay a little bit more. Why am I paying Russia more? Start starving them. Their, their, uh, their exports are already down 25%. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Are you considering delaying with the title No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, uh, my, well, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if in fact it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. Okay, that's a bit of a problem. If you're confused, join the club. Uh, So was the president. Realizing that that was the answer to two questions. One was Title 42 is what's on the border because we're in a pandemic to allow uh, Border Patrol to turn people around because of this health catastrophe. Uh, Number The other thing we're talking about is uh, the mask mandate, which the Department of Justice is appealing the decision that the Florida court judge has said, the district court judge has said, that we should not be under a mask mandate anymore. So the president confused both. He had to, he had to personally, under, with his words, walk that back. Jackie Heinrich joins us now, the White House uh, correspondent we lean on so often. Jackie, this is kind of unique to see the president talk himself at the circles and then have to walk it back. Yeah, you know, we, we've heard from the White House before when there's been a comment that he's made that they need to clarify. That usually comes from a White House official. This came straight from the president. And I think that that is because, you know, there's been some criticism in the past when Biden has said something. Usually, lately, it's been pertaining to Ukraine. And then we hear that the, a White House official is walking back or clarifying what he said. And there's the criticism has been, well, who's in charge here? Is the president in charge or is a White House official in charge? And so I think that that has sort of sunk in with this administration and having the president himself put out a statement, you know, only I think it was like less than a half hour after that uh, confusing comment came out. Um, I thought that was significant. So let me ask something. Do you, what is your hunch? Because you, you see him so much. Uh, what is your hunch that that he got confused? Did he misunderstand the question? Is he confused about Title 42 and the mass mandate? Because it's something that's that to me, the two two biggest issues uh, on the docket domestically right now. Yeah, I, th- I think he misunderstood the question and halfway through answering it, figured out what the question was, which is why, um, you know, it, he sort of circled back to it at the end and, and said there's no been no decision on extending Title 42, which sort of um, addressed the, the original question that he was asked after wrongly indicating there was going to be a Justice Department appeal. I think he was sort of working through that in his head and then immediately after, you know, had to put out this statement to clarify it. And it's not the first time that this has happened. I mean, remember, I was with him maybe a little over a month ago and asked him if he was ready to call Putin a war criminal. And he originally said no, and then was walking away. And I think was sort of ruminating on what that question was in his head and of his own volition turned around and corrected himself. So um, I I think he just misunderstood and then gave an answer that unfortunately conflated the two biggest issues right now, uh, which was just, 
you know, a shame for him. Right. Uh, if in your estimation, who's his chief advisor? I know who his chief of staff is, but who's his chief advisor in a time in which, you know, the president's getting up there in age and he has so many walkbacks and it ends up being a problem for everybody. Why would why does it all seem like he's always alone? You know, I think that there's a difference between who his advisors are and who is handling um, the press. And I think, you know, it's the Kate Bedingfields of the world, the Kate Burners of the world who, um, you know, they, they don't allow him to have a lot of access to, to the press or the press to have access to him. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He doesn't do take a lot of questions off the cuff at the end of remarks. Uh, I think that that is a response to, you know, criticism that the world thinks that he has cognitive decline. They want to sh- keep him away. Uh, they want to not let him stumble and like feed into this, uh, you know, conspiracy that he is, you know, somehow mentally degraded. Uh, and I think that that's the wrong decision personally, because, you know, I, I see him when the cameras go off and he does fumble around in, in making a, a sentence, but um, I don't I don't believe that he is you know senile by any means. I I think though the issue is different when it comes to who's advising him on policy decisions. I think that you know if if it's an issue relating to the military, he does meet with the Secretary Austin and Blinken uh, for the State Department. I think Ron Klain's very influential. I think in Congress, uh, Steve Reschetti and uh, Louisa Terrell are also play pretty big roles, but that's not a giant inner circle. Right. Number one issue that affects most people uh, is what's happening with inflation. And I'm struck by how many different explanations and excuses the president's giving for why it's high from Putin's supply chain to COVID. Listen. This is the soundbite you just pulled about the economy. Okay. Basically, Jackie, what he's doing is there are excuses that he keeps talking about with inflation. Is any of them resonating? No, uh, they're not. I mean, and there's just been a poll out, I think, this morning from the Associated Press that shows 70 percent of Americans think the country is headed in the wrong direction. Uh, and that poll highlighted issues of the economy and Ukraine specifically. And that 70 percent includes 49 percent of Democrats. I mean, that's a, a considerable number when you're a little over a year out from a midterm election. The uh, President Obama came to the White House to celebrate Obamacare famously. Last year, he gave a major speak on the dangers of social media. And the story came out in the Hill earlier this week that the President Biden told the, his former boss, President Obama, that he plans on running again. What do you think the strategy is between that getting out or is that just somebody that was able to get this, get that story from President Obama? I think that that is probably a plant. Um, I, of course, have absolutely nothing to support that hunch. It's just, you know, think about where this president's poll numbers have been. I mean, they've been in the gutter since Afghanistan, basically. And then if there is this, um, you know, sort of red wave coming in the midterms and then the president turns into, you know, sort of a lame duck in the sense that he's, he may not control both chambers, even controlling both chambers, his party controlling both chambers. They have not been able to pass really any of his agenda. The stuff that they've been able to get done, they had to, you know, partner with Republicans on the infrastructure bill. Um, but I think if, if, you know, there's, 
this sentiment, this feeling permeating the public that he is not going to run again, that doesn't work for all the congressional Democrats who are trying to keep their seats. And I think that there's some strategy there to try to, you know, have people believe that he's going to run again and that there's energy behind the Democratic Party, there's energy within this presidency, so that it makes it easier on, uh, you know, members of Congress who are trying to keep their spots. It's not exactly your gig, but it's hard to not see how 13 people leaving the vice president's office, including her chief of staff. What do you hear is going on there? Is it as chaotic and and uh, dispiriting as it seems? Well, this is, of course, not the first headline that we've had like this out of the vice president's office. I mean, there has been a lot of turnover. And the response that we get all the time when we cover these stories is that, you know, people are grateful for their, their time there, that everyone's happy, that uh, people, you know, love their job, respect the vice president, and everything is all copacetic. Um, but the, the the departures sort of do um, cast doubt on that. And I don't think that we're going to hear really something uh, acknowledging that from that office. I think it's going to have to come from, you know, people who leave that office and Truly, most of them who leave are trying to go into other things. There's still Democrats who want to work for this administration or do something in their careers. So I don't think that they're going to be want to, um, you know, talk poorly about their experience there. Uh, but I think it's a reality that you've, they've had a lot of turnover in the VP's office. And I don't think that all of it is related to uh, the fact that she has been put in charge of, quote, unwinnable issues like the border. Do they? Does anyone feel compelled to address the border? Mayorkas came out and leaked that story about him wanting to keep Title Forty Two in place. But does do, do does the administration understand that this isn't just a Republican issue anymore? I don't think that um, they've given enough attention to that yet, and they're going to really need to because you've had now 19 Democrats who um, publicly broke with the administration on this. I mean, a lot of them are vulnerable um, members who are are running for reelection. But then you also have just this morning the House Problem Solvers Caucus endorsed a bill that would suspend action on Title 42. Uh, Basically, it gives congressional oversight. Uh, it, It prevents the administration from uh, stopping Title 42 from being lifted until they come forward and and end the public health emergency declaration, and then also give a plan on how they're going to address the surge at the border. And so what the bill does is say the administration ends the public health emergency, which has a lot of, you know, implications if you think about that, when you talk about masks and other things, Uh, say they go forward with that, then they have to also submit a plan to address the surge. And if a plan is not submitted, then any action on Title 42 is delayed automatically another 30 days. So the the bylaws for this group are that you have to have 50 percent of each party vote to to endorse it and 70 percent 75 percent of the caucus overall you got 58 members in this caucus half democrats and half republicans and now that it's been endorsed that means all of them are going to support it when it comes to the floor so you have 58 members of the house and you can expect every member of the republican party is going to support this um you know, that's something that the, the president's going to have to reckon with. And there's already, what, nine plus senators also on the Democratic side. You got a 50-50 Senate. You know, that's a fifth. Yeah. No, no kidding. Though, uh, everyone that down there is up in, in a tough race. Jackie Heinrich, I know you got to get back to work and finish the week strong. Thanks so much. 
Thanks, Ryan. It's always Talk great. Uh, fantastic. one 408 7669 I'm getting a lot of your emails, and, and I'll share them with you. I'll read them. So you go to BrianKillMe.com for that. You can also order any of the books like The President and Freedom Fighter, uh, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, The Battle to Save America's Soul. And don't, re- don't forget, Saturday, 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock, Eastern Time, One Nation on Fox News. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. As I said earlier, through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which I might add, I wrote the original one with my own Paul. I wrote it, sat down and wrote it, because I was convinced there was no other answer other than to begin to invest in our country again. Uh, The president is inaccurately portraying what happened to the infrastructure bill. He said I would not pass it. Unless I had both the bill back better and the other bill. I wouldn't pass one without the other, number one. Number two, I don't think he wrote it. I mean, my goodness, that was generated from the House, from the Senate uh, on both sides of the aisle. I think Mitt Romney had a lot to do with it. I think Joe Manchin had a lot to do with it. I, I find it hard to believe he wrote it. It wouldn't take more pride in doing it. He had a chance to take a big bow. He delayed this thing three months as he tried to get bill back better passed. And now he realizes uh, this is all I got. I got to go sell it. A lot of Democrat Republicans stayed out of it because there was too much climate change in it, but they thought the worst was spread yet to come. And in the end, Senator Cassidy was right when he was on this show and said, the other one's not going to pass. I'm telling you, it will not pass. And Joe Manchin was the one who put the stop on that one with Kristen Sinema. Uh, real quick, a lot of people are writing me uh, for, on all different topics. One, Scott writes me and says, hey, we need America to stand up for themselves and quit giving hundreds of billions of dollars to entertainment, taking so much money from people that work so much to keep America uh, and give it to the entertainers and politicians. That needs to stop. And that's what's happening. A lot of people are spending a lot of money supporting causes uh, from uh, causes and for acts. And I would say, too, a lot of people are upset in New York specifically lately that New York is giving the Buffalo Bill $650 million. That's a form of entertainment. A lot of people think it could be used uh, differently. Um, and uh, we're talking about the border crashers. This one's from Gary. Gary says this, Brian, need your opinion on the border crashers. Is it pretty much known that Democrats are allowing border crashers to create government dependency, which in turn secures Democratic voter roles in the distant future? A couple of things. I don't think that they're saying, oh, I have an idea. I'll get them on Social Security. I'll get them on welfare, and then they'll vote for me. I think that's even too far down the line. I think there's a belief that uh, America would be better off and Democratic Party would be better off with more Hispanics. But you know what's happening? The Hispanic vote's going more and more to the Republicans. I'm wondering if that'll change the Democratic stance on the border, which is come one, come all. Mike, you're listening right, right now in Glendora, California. Hey, Mike. Good morning, Brian. Hey, when are you coming to Los Angeles huh, with the radio station? We're, we're, we're dying for you here. I would but, love it. Uh, hey, my- Allison, can you work on that? We need to, we need to get an affiliate <laughs> in L.A. <laughs> so here's my question for you. This is, uh, you've got military experts on there all the time talking about uh, you know, tactical limited nuclear weapons and stuff. Uh, my question is, and it's never, I've never heard it addressed, what does this actually look like you know, when it happens? Uh, is, this, is this a Hiroshima event where everything is devastated, or is this the nu- neutron bombs where you, you can explode one? I don't know the range on those. 
but then you can come in and occupy. It kills people, but not buildings. You know, uh, you can come in and occupy areas. I've never heard what you know what these guys mean when they. What does it actually look like in reality? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going it, to. I'm gonna. I don't have that. I don't have that knowledge, but I will bring to that. Bring that forward. So someone uses a tactical nuke, and the first person I heard talking about this is Donald Rumsfeld, who said, "Hey, you know what? We're not ruling out tactical nuclear weapons in." In Iraq, and I said, "Wow, what, really?" And they said, "Yeah, it's not. It's not against the Geneva Conventions." I said, "Okay, that's that's interesting, as opposed to dropping a nuclear bomb." So I will definitely look into that. Uh, thanks so much, Mike. Uh, Shannon writes and says, yes, "Can you please explain to why no one is talking about the fact that the most viruses are naturally born, that COVID chemically engineered? We have no way of knowing what the future effects will be, and I know a few people had it more than once. So how does that?" How does that uh, twice as many uh, adverse, many long-term complications? That's a little bit awkwardly worded. So odds are long-term complications are higher. I don't understand. Thank you for your service every day uh, for you and the Fox staff and your radio show. So I don't understand what's exactly why there's so little curiosity in the origins of this virus. I know when the Republicans, if the Republicans go true to form and take the House, one of the first things they're doing is having a massive investigations of the origins of this virus. And I think it all, uh, all, uh, all circumstances point to something that John Stewart's admitted and uh, Bill Maher's admitted that a lot of Democrats are running from. That this came from China and it came from that lab that happens to be located right near where this all, uh, well, this all took place. The other big story that we're talking about is the Disney story. It looks like they're going to be they're going to lose their autonomous status unless they can get rid of the CEO and have an emergency meeting with Governor DeSantis. They. Uh, I was just told they don't have their own police force. Orange County Police does it, but they do have their own fire department, their own energy. They tax their own people. They could decide to expand their their amusement park and don't have to worry about clearing that with the county or with the or with the state or the city. These are some of the advantages that they have. They pretty much call their own shots. Here is Randy Fine on how that's coming to an end because the Senate and House voted to get rid of it and will be signed uh, signed into law today. Cut one. When Disney kicked the hornet's nest several weeks ago, we started taking a look at special districts, and we found that six of them had been created before the Florida Constitution was actually put in place, and they had all sorts of weird things in them. For example, Disney had the right to take land outside of their district. Um, They had the right to build a nuclear power plant without state oversight. They didn't have to follow zoning laws or safety codes. People have wanted to deal with the special district for decades, but Disney had the political power to prevent it for decades. What's changed is by trying to bring California values to Florida. Floridians have said, all right, you're a guest in our state. Maybe you don't deserve those special privileges anymore. And that's what's happened. Pretty amazing. Uh, Governor DeSantis' stock continues to rise. But he's doing it not to do political stunts. He's actually doing the right thing. And I ask you, just read the bill. Six pages. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming here from 48th and 6th, heard around the country, heard around the world, and hopefully being picked up in the Ukraine as we continue to monitor that situation. This hour, we're going to be joined by Dr. Nicole Sapphire, as well as Charles Payne, host of Making Money with Charles Payne. He's got great insight on just about everything, and he's also filling in for Neil a lot, so he's all over both channels uh, quite often. In fact, he was on Fox & Friends uh, this morning. 
Uh, we'll be taking your calls. Also, if you prefer to write and get a ton of emails, go to BrianKilme.com. Just click on uh, comments and we'll keep up to what's happening as the news breaks across the country. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we would tell you this morning is that we still assess that Mariupol is contested, that it hasn't been taken by the Russians, and that there's still an active Ukrainian resistance. So they continue to fight for that city. Yeah, there you go, John Kirby. Russia is desperate for a May 9th victory because they have that big day to celebrate their victory day. So they want to say that they won at Mariupol. Let's hope the Russian people and the world realize there's no victory in what they're doing to Ukraine. It's a colossal mistake, and Vladimir Putin is a modern-day Stalin and Hitler. Number two. In the past, I was the lonely voice on this, but now we got Democratic senators, uh, Democratic members of Congress that are not only looking at the P for policy, but they're also looking at the P for politics. This is not good for Democrats in November. Yeah, and it's not good for the country. I don't really want to sidetrack you with that. Disaster. Even the Dems can recognize it. The crossing of our southern border, which is about to become a multiple country invasion, should Title 42 go away May 23rd. And Democratic senators and House members are rallying the president to stop the repeal process, does the president even know what that process is? Number one. People have wanted to deal with the special district for decades, but Disney had the political power to prevent it for decades. What's changed is by trying to bring California values to Florida. Floridians have said, all right, you're a guest in our state. Maybe you don't deserve those special privileges anymore. Yeah, that's what's happening. Just a signature way. That's how close Republicans are to winning their battle against the corporate woke culture and the radicals that force it on all of us. Governor DeSantis clapping clapping back at Disney as they attack parental rights. Uh, The uh, they got the will to win. He's showing other Republican governors how to push back and corporations how to have steel in their spine and not kowtow to a small minority of people who may want you to be politically correct and green-oriented instead of worrying about profits and success in the survival of a company. And that's why this CEO has got to be fired at Disney. they got to bring back Bob Iger or somebody else competent that's going to sit down with the governor who can be reasonable and is reasonable and say this is our way forward. But with this guy, I don't see it. I don't see how it's even possible. Uh, Meanwhile, here is uh, what happened yesterday is the House did what the Senate did on Thursday, on Wednesday. And that is pass the repeal of of Disney's autonomous process. They were essentially allowed to be their own country within a state. That goes away. Here's Chris Sprawls, uh, the Florida Speaker of the House. And the loss... That may come into and the uh, the the loss may come into the on the into the state in terms of tax revenue. Cut to. You know, after they came out and said what they said, and I agree with you completely, um, the statements were just totally outrageous. Um, they misled Floridians. They misled Americans about what the Florida legislature did to protect kids in kindergarten through third grade. Um, we started looking at those taxing districts, and today we, we acted, uh, d- you know, affirmatively to make sure that in the next year that they will expire. So this is what Steve Cahill says of Wells Fargo. The impact on Disney is more symbolic than real money. Disney stock price fell on Thursday, ending the day at down 2.3%. Florida has hundreds of similar special tax districts that would be left in place. One covers the villages, a huge senior level home, we know that. Another covers Daytona uh, Speedway, we know that. 
But Disney, by far the biggest. they got six theme parks, uh, outdoor shopping, 220-acre baseball, soccer, volleyball, lacrosse, uh, baseball, and um, a huge complex. I've been there multiple times. 18 Disney-owned hotels, 24,000 rooms. Disney has a, a bus fleet that rivals that of the city of St. Louis. So uh, Charles Payne joins me now. Hey, Charles, Steve Cahill of Wells Fargo, as I was just telling our audience, said this is more symbolic in terms of a loss for uh, for Disney. Do you agree with that? Uh, listen, it's a gargantuan company. So it, it might be symbolic, but I think – I think anyone who dismisses this is, is making a mistake, particularly Disney's management, because Disney is one of the worst performers. It's the worst performer in the Dow Jones Industrial Average this year, stock. It's getting crushed. It has been getting crushed for well over a year. Why? They're not, they're not making it. They're not doing well. Disney Plus, all their products, Everything. their amusement you know, parks. I got, I got to tell you, I watched the Disney movie with my nine-year-old granddaughter on um, – I think it was Saturday or Sunday. The Red Panda. There was so much innuendo in there that made me un, uh, just it, it just really bothered me a lot. I didn't say anything. Obviously, she's nine years old. I don't want to bring great attention to it, but I hate what they're doing. You know, these these planting these seeds and watering them. It used to be about fun, right? Or universal messages of good versus bad, good versus yeah. evil. You know, this message like, hey, your the, the love and, and approval of your friends should supersede that of your parents. I, that's not Disney's job. I didn't think so. <laughs> so Netflix is the worst performing stock this year. Disney's right up there with them. And they both have that in common. You know, I think they're going down a path where you're a content provider. And believe me, people need – I think you get to the point where you think anything you put out, people will buy because you put your name on it. Well, you're learning the hard way. That's not true. A couple of things. You know, looking back last night and doing – I was doing primetime last night. We wanted to put in perspective all these culture wars and how much they're costing. Did you realize in 2016, do you remember what happened with the, the governor there, uh, McCrory? He came out and said, I believe men should use the men's room, women should use the women's room, mm-hmm. and you, how your birth certificate reads. They lost something like $5 billion in the state when the All-Star Game pulls out and all these other companies refuse to expand. Right. Do you believe that this could be a turning point, that maybe this governor, Ron DeSantis, is saying, hey, corporations, put some steel in your spine, do what's right, and stop panicking when people start being politically correct around you? I, I, I hope I can I – I hope it is. I'm not 100 percent sure because, again, we always look through this through the uh, U.S.-centric lens. Yeah. You know, these are multinational companies. They start to make more money outside of America than in America. Their growth is greater outside of America than in America. And, and, and so for them, what they might lose here doesn't matter as much because they can pick it up somewhere else. International. Internationally. You know, for instance, Nike. They're saturated in America. They obviously were their biggest market, but they're not going to grow this market. They're going to continue to grow the China market. So who do they appease? China. In fact, the quote was, we, we consider ourselves a China company. Right. Which is unbelievable. Right. So Netflix, same thing. They've peaked out here. Facebook peaked out here. A lot of these large corporations that are in the midst of this of these woke cult- cultural wars, you'll notice their businesses have, have peaked in America. So, yeah, I guess look out for the final product on that. But a couple of things that are, that are also going on. 
I had a chance to go out with the CEO of Ford to look at this uh, this new Lightning, mm-hmm. which is their Ford pickup. It's Lightning. It's all and uh, it's also self driving. It's going to roll out in a few weeks. They have two hundred thousand reservations. He just says that nothing's really been done in terms of bringing back supply chain here. He goes, you want our medicines? It's still over there. You know, you, you want uh, a lot of our products? It's still over there. I told him about rare earth and batteries. He's like, yeah, I need help from the government on this. We have to have all the medical supplies, all the pharmaceuticals. It's still over there. Nothing has really changed. And if you want to square off with China, China is trying to work in a way in which they don't need our market. Are we also aware that we need China to make our stuff soon? How soon do we see a national movement to nationalize a lot of these products? You know, I would have thought uh, it would have been really big last year uh, and the year before when we were waiting for medicines to come from China and Americans were dying. On, by the way, on things that we actually discovered, you know, we put together people who you know work in American companies – uh, but we decided to offshore the manufacturing of these drugs and protective cheaper. equipment. And this is where I come into a lot of beef with my uh, orthodox conservative economists and, and some of the things like Ricardo and Adam Smith and this notion that if some com- company or country wants to provide something for you at a cheaper price, take it. I just think it's nonsensical that, because there is there there are ways that it costs – that aren't always easy to put in a numeric formula, uh, you know. Or when they when push comes to shove, it's too late. When it, when it becomes obviously that even from a numeric point of view, it was a dumb idea, but it's too late to turn it back. And I was hoping that maybe that would be the time. What we have seen is a, a less reliance on China, more Vietnam, maybe some Mexico. But we we need to bring we need to bring all that stuff back here. And, and by the way, we can rare earth isn't rare. <laughs> it's just that it's it's difficult Lithium, to mine. Nickel. Some, no, but some of the other stuff, right, isn't really that rare per se. It's just hard to mine. It's dangerous, and we say, "What the hell? Let China do it." We don't want to. We don't want to put it, put up with that. Ironically, just this week, though, last week, President Biden reinstated more more hurdles toward getting the and the, the, the very stuff that he said two week, three weeks ago we would do. We'd be leaders in electric vehicles and and the materials. He actually has made it harder once again to actually get the extract from the earth. Why? What happened? He's got new permitting. Yeah, the, he reversed a lot of things that President Trump had put into place to speed up manufacturing. Uh, you know, it's just really a bureaucracy, layers of red tape, and an ode to the climate change uh, agenda. A couple of things uh, we were discussing this in the couch today on Fox and Friends, but Hawk Newsom came on with Bill and uh, uh, with Bill and Dana yesterday, and he is could not be more negative on Democratic mayor, former cap, police captain. Uh, Eric Adams. Here he is. Cut 32. Let's get back to Eric Adams, this 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 mayor who spews who is a Democrat, but he spews conservative and Republican talking points. At the end of the day, we have a name for someone like this. And this is someone we call a right because of he's a black man and he's a white man in blackface and a very conservative minded white man at that. So what we have is a man with hundreds of people on the city's payroll billions of dollars in budget, and 40,000 police officers. He has 10, 10, 10 victims in one night. The night before, he had 16 shooting victims on a train. And they say, what are you going to do about policing? And he says, what about BLM? Is America not smart enough to see him deflecting? Because he came out, just so everyone should know, he brought up uh, BLM because he was really struck that there were shootings in the Bronx and uh, Brooklyn 
in the middle of the night. He says, I was there, black, uh, uh, black kids shooting other black kids. And he goes, mm-hmm. where's BLM condemning this? Right. Your thoughts about his thoughts? Well, it's always despicable to hear one black man call another black man a coon. It's, it's so ignorant. Uh, and, and also the notion that somehow um, being conservative is being anti-black. Uh, you know, it's, it, it really is. You know, these, these folks are perpetuating uh, this sort of urban myth that has yielded zero. Nothing but generation after generation of broken dreams, broken promises, zero. Since the 60s. You can get the black vote by promising higher minimum wage. You can get the black vote by promising more housing projects. You can let the president of the United States get up there and blow smoke by saying, oh, we took so many kids off of poverty. You know what poverty is in this country? A family of four is 26500 bucks. So essentially they're saying, hey, we did some programs, and the average family went from 26300 bucks to 27000 You can let someone call that an achievement. You're still in poverty. That's just an artificial line. <laughs> you know, it means nothing. Your life has not changed. Your mom's life didn't change. Your grandmother's life didn't change. Your great-grandmother, nothing is changing. People are coming here from all over the world and being extraordinarily successful all over the world. America is still the most amazing co- country in the world for creating prosperity. We are not participating in that. Less than 10 black CEOs in the Fortune 500. Less than 10 blacks are, uh, uh, people are Fortune 500 CEOs. Why Check is out that? how many. Why is that? There's a lot of reasons for it. It's not just one reason, but I think a big contributor, p- contributing factor is we're not, we're not grooming ourselves. We're, we're allowing progressives to give our kids watered-down educations so that when you graduate from, say, New York City High School, right. you're three years behind your white counterpart. You're five years behind your Asian counterpoint, counterpart. So which one of us has the best chance of becoming a CEO in 20 years? Well, one of those <laughs> top two groups. Right, yeah. right. And, 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 you know, I say kudos to, the, to Asians, right? They're, they're dominating. It's, it's, you know, you look at, I look at all these annual reports and I look at all the, the – they're doing amazing. And CEOs the, of and, everything, and of everything. Answer, and the answer is to limit of, their of admission into the leading yeah, schools. Yeah, I know. I know. CEOs of everything. I, you you got to tip your hat to them. But we were like that. We used to have much more respect for family, religion, God, uh, a lot more accountability. I mean, my, my grandparents owned a farm in Alabama and – you, you just could imagine at the time they owned it, how hard it was for a black family to have their own farm. They didn't have running water. They didn't have electricity, but they raised their kids. They did an amazing job. It was all about self-reliance. Everyone had a role. Everyone busted their you-know-what, and there was accountability. There were no excuses. Mm-hmm. This is a Faustian deal that we have bought into, and it gets worse and worse every generation, not better. And what's scary about it is now that we're moving to this new world, this new paradigm, right, the uh, uh, Industrial Revolution 4.0. Guaranteed income. Well, that's the trade-off. In other words, there's going to be so many things, the metaverse, artificial intelligence, robots, flying taxi, robocars, some of the things you just talked about from Ford. They're presenting an amazing opportunity, but you got to have specific skills for them. You don't need to go necessarily for your college, but you do have to have specific skills. Whereas before with the great migration of blacks from the south to the north, uh, you know, you can go up there and, and General Motors will show you how to work on the line. And you can get an amazing job, great benefits, send your kids to college and own a home. So the trade-off that the progressives and Democrats are offering now to blacks and Hispanics right. are we're not going to give your kids the education to participate. 
in the Industrial Revolution 4.0, but we will give you universal basic income. It's a, it's a bad deal, and we got, we got to start it offering sucks. it. It's bad. It's awful. And, and anyone who protects that by calling another black man a coon is a damn fool. Charles Payne, thanks so much. We'll see you at 2 and 3 on FBN. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I do think there is ultimately going to be a negotiate solution here. There might be a frozen conflict is kind of the term that's used. The model that I have in my mind is to look at 1939 at the uh, invasion of Finland by the Soviet Union. Stalin's tanks roll in there. The Finns fight them to a standstill in what's called the Winter War. Google Winter War Finland 1939. And how did that end? Finland gave up about 10% of their territory, but they sailed on as an independent sovereign state. They blunted the Soviet advances. I think there's an outline of a deal there, but uh, it's going to be months in coming, and we've got to bleed Vladimir Putin more than we have so far. Go after the money. Yeah, with sanctions-wise, but he is bleeding. I mean, he lost anywhere between 10 and 20 commanders from naval to army. Number two, he has lost about 20,000 of his soldiers, more likely more. And the prestige he's lost and the fear people have the Russian army is virtually gone now as they get their butts kicked every time they square off with the Ukrainians. But they do have more people, more resources. They don't have to depend on outside help. My hope is that people like Janet Yellen pipe down and continue to uh, push forward on sanctions. It stops most of Europe from getting almost all Russian oil and gas and coal, for that matter. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come back. COVID-19. Wear the mask or not. Dr. Cole Sapphire. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When it comes to mask mandates, um, they're there because people just aren't great people. Um, and that, that's just the bottom line. Americans just aren't, aren't great to each other. We just aren't. And so when it comes to things like flying, yeah, you know, the, the mask you mandate the mask. is supposed to be lifted April 18th. I don't want to get on a plane with super spreaders. I don't want to get on a plane with 214 other people that are going to be breathing on me with their COVID breath. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want it. I, I want the mask. I think that we relied upon personal responsibility and people were irresponsible leading to the mandates, right? We, yeah. we want people to be better than they are. And, and that's just the bottom line. We cannot necessarily rely on, on people to protect their fellow man. That is some of the, uh, the stylings of The View. Uh, feeling that getting rid of these mask mandates are a big mistake. Yes, let's leave them on as long as possible. Let's never see each other's faces. Let's do it. Uh, the pandemic, to me, we're in the back end of it, but I have Dr. Nicole Sapphire here. She's getting set to host Outnumbered in 90 minutes. She's going to be on the couch for an hour, but first she's doing a house call right here on the 15th floor. Dr. Sapphire, how do you feel about those doctors on The View? 
You know, Brian, you know, we just heard Charles refer to Faust and the Faustian effect. Well, I, I refer to the hyperbole that we're hearing from The View and elsewhere as the Faustian effect. Because what happened? Uh, initially in the pandemic, you had some restrictions in place. We had no idea what was going on. We didn't know about the virus. There was no community immunity. We couldn't test. We didn't have treatments. We didn't have vaccines. Well, so here we go. Two years into it, some of these mandates and restrictions stayed even though we had science and data showing either they didn't work or we had nothing declaring that they did or did not work. And that has to go with the masking. So community masking, uh, the majority of studies show that there is no change in case transmissions, hospitalizations and deaths, whether there were mask mandates or not. Um, And then even some very small studies showed, okay, if you had high-quality masks, there was maybe a very small difference, but that's not what we're seeing here. We don't have high-quality masks going on. And then you talk about the airline mask mandate, which is is crazy. The Department of Defense about two years ago put out a study showing 99% of aerosolized particles were filtered out of those high-grade HEPA filtration systems. Now, that doesn't... Take into account the droplets and other things. I get it. You still have risk of being on an airplane, of getting SARS-CoV-2 or being exposed to it, just like colds and flus and everything else we've always traveled with before. This is about my health, my choice. People who want to continue wearing good quality, well-fitting masks, they should absolutely do that. If they don't want to travel... Don't travel. I don't care. You do you. But here we are. Over 95% of the population has some level of immunity. We have an ability to test, and we have ample treatments. At this point, it is time to move forward with this pandemic. And are you surprised? I know this gets into the political thing, but the Department of Justice, the CDC asked the Department of Justice to appeal this decision because they're concerned about not only this, but their power on the next pandemic, the next medical emergency. Listen, masking should not have been as divisive as it was. It should not be political. It should be scientific. Unfortunately, the CDC has failed us immensely that they have not actually put out any randomized controlled trials for people wearing masks on airplanes. So they didn't prove it or even disprove it. We're just doing it because. And even you saw the CDC statement this week. They said, we're asking them to appeal it to maintain the authority of the CDC. It's like, Hold the phone. There were no references about why they should have masks, why this will save lives, or what this will do for the betterment of the country. They just said to maintain authority just because. That's a great point because that did slip by me. And this is a judge. The minute the judge in Florida made that decision, they go, Trump judge. Well, that's a Trump judge. He's very young. And in Florida, they're crazy. They're into freedom. So that's it. I go, wait a second. You just marginalized a accomplished woman's decision, and now it's going to go to another court, I think the the 10th uh, district, which I think or 11th, and they say it's very conservative, and the next step would be the Supreme Court. In the meantime, Philadelphia, San Francisco, uh, to a degree, New York, LaGuardia Airport, I've said, okay, you're going to mask up on the inside. I think Long Island Railroad, they don't enforce it, thankfully. I was in LaGuardia. They didn't enforce it. So it's haphazard again across the country. Meanwhile, if we continue to appeal it on these different circuits and then up to the Supreme Court, the mask mandate would have expired by then anyway. It's just complete lack or waste of resources um, and taxpayer dollars. But the precedent is, what does this mean for future emergencies? And I can tell you, because there has been such a fumbling from the CDC, the FDA, the NIH without throughout this pandemic, they're going to have a really difficult time getting Americans to listen to them again because they continue to have recommendations um, that do not actually follow the science. That is so sad that the term science has become a fictitious term. It is. I believe, Dr. Sapphire, that it would be the exact opposite of Donald Trump in one, four more years. 
it would have been the vaccine doesn't work. How come I took the vaccine, took two shots? Donald Trump rushed this vaccine. It wasn't ready. Now, the President Biden says vaccine is the only way. And that's for every Democrat seems to be saying that. Republicans are more skeptical on that. And when it comes to therapeutics, I don't understand the reluctance to using the warp speed model in therapeutics. We came up with them, I believe, in November. We don't have a mass produced because we didn't take the so-called risk and invest in the product before it was actually proven through the studies. Well, you know, I, I do think that we'd be in a different place if Trump were president right now, mainly because of the messaging that would coming out. When the vaccines first came out, the data that was shown by Pfizer and Moderna was that the vaccine had over 90 percent ability to prevent transmission and keep you out of the hospital and prevent death. Great. Well, we only had three weeks of data. So in that three weeks, it did a great job of doing that. Really quickly, we realized, you know, the vaccine is still good at preventing severe illness. However, it doesn't do anything with when it comes to transmitting the virus. Maybe there's a nominal decrease, but that's about it. That is when the CDC, Dr. Fauci and every other talking head should have said, OK, our talking points are changing. This vaccine is not about preventing transmission. It's about saving lives. That's really always been what the flu shot has been about. But unfortunately, they didn't do that. So all of a sudden, it looks like the vaccines are failing, and they are failing to prevent transmission. The moment that happened, that is when the mandates should have gone away. That is when this vaccine is to help you to keep you out of the hospital, and it should have been a conversation between patients and doctors. But instead, they push forward with their talking points, which is how they lost public trust. And there has been consequences because they neglected all the science that came out of elsewhere in the world because the United States didn't do any of our own studies, showing that there are side effects, specifically in younger people when it comes to some of these vaccines. And they continued to neglect natural immunity. And maybe some of those younger people who had natural immunity didn't need to get vaccinated. Maybe they wouldn't have side effects. But unfortunately, they were way too rigid, way too black and white, and they've lost complete um, trust when it comes to the American people. Should we not call these vaccines and call them shots? I mean, you said flu shot, not flu vaccine, because you got to get a different one every year. Well, that's right. And honestly, we're talking semantics at this point. And you can say that the whole goal of large vaccination campaigns is to eradicate a pathogen. But we know at this point, SARS-CoV-2 is not being eradicated by these vaccines. So should it be called something else? Should it be more of not necessarily a treatment, but a preventative measure, just like lose weight so you decrease your risk of a lot of medical illnesses? Absolutely. And maybe it should be. But you're going to have a really hard time getting CDC, FDA and Fauci to change their mindset because they have just been on this this train that it didn't matter what stood in their way. Science, data, it didn't matter. They just kept going with their talking points. When we come back, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, we'll talk about the Chinese method of handling the vaccine. It is brutal. I don't know if you've seen this video, but only getting worse. And by the way, you're still going to be unoutnumbered, right? Yes, sir. She's going to be outnumbered in less than two hours. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
There's a tremendous amount of hypocrisy here, which I think is the real story. I mean, they were relentless uh, for the entirety of the Trump administration, accusing us of politicizing the public health agencies. But here we have now an administration who day in and day out make decisions not based on science and data. They said Biden was going to follow the science. When it comes to this mask mandate, they don't have the science, they don't have the data, and they also don't have the law. This judge that struck it down was exactly right. You can't have the same agency, the CDC, looking at the same science at the same time and on one hand saying this COVID is such a dire emergency that they're going to skip the rulemaking process to require every American who travels by airplane to put on a mask, to require millions of Americans to have a vaccine, even if it's against their will, because COVID is such an emergency. But on the other hand, say, you know what, when it comes to the border, when it comes to Title 42, you know what, COVID's not that bad. Let's- so that is, uh, that's kind of an abrupt, uh, abrupt end, but that is Brian Harrison uh, that is Brian Harrison. He was on Fox News yesterday. He's the HHS uh, chief of staff under Trump. So he's saying the big difference in the way it's being done. And this is what drives Dr. Sapphire nuts is because uh, the, the medicine is being bastardized and politicized. And it's hard for you to get your message out instead of people saying, well, I wonder what angle she's coming from. People used to take doctors uh, at their word. Now people are saying, what channel are they on? What do they want to achieve? And what, are they, what point are they trying to make as opposed to? My object, my objective is just to treat people and keep them safe. Well, unfortunately, I can tell you that. I mean, watching it myself evolve over the last two years is that, you know, physicians are not going solely on the science or on the data themselves. I mean, I can tell you when it comes to my profession, uh, early cancer detection, diagnosis and treatment, it is all data driven for the 99.9%. And so we always, most people are in line with our recommendations and our viewpoints on that. But unfortunately, when it has come to COVID, things have just become so politicized that it is not the same. People are not referring to studies. And and if they are, they're picking and choosing which ones they want to see. It's not the collective. I mean, they, the CDC has put out a few of their own papers uh, in their own little journal because Goodness knows if you were to try and get it in some other peer-reviewed journal, it wouldn't pass the sniff test because it is so poorly done, so poorly designed. But some people really hold on to that because, oh, well, it came out of CDC, and the CDC is the holy grail of public health. And I'll tell you, pre-COVID, I had a lot more trust in their ability to collect data and to put forth recommendations. But unfortunately, now they're only looking at their own botched data, and they're not taking the collective. They're not looking at some of the masking studies and the studies on vaccines and other others elsewhere. I mean, throughout the world, we have just failed when it has come to really collecting data and putting together good, good research. And it has really polarized physicians as well. From what you know, we have the best vaccines. Would you say that's a fact? Undoubtedly, the mRNA vaccines have, 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 have done the best in terms of reducing severe illness, hospitalizations and death. Better than uh, what you've seen. I don't know if you've looked at the Chinese vaccine or the Russian vaccine. Well, it's really hard to say because uh, while we can say what they what they give us regarding information, they're not necessarily forthcoming or honest with a lot of that information. So um, I can tell you by looking at the um, traditional viruses, the adenoviruses, the virus vectors and others, um, which are what um, China and Russia are using, you know, we're comparing the mRNA to like J&J. We do can see that the mRNA is still having a better ability. Now, the China, Chinese said that they were going to put out their own mRNA vaccine, um, but they still have not yet, as right. far as we know. So look at what the Chinese are doing. You must be horrified. They've locked down 25 million people, forgot to feed them. If you go out, you're going to be arrested. If you're a six-year-old test positive, they take the six-year-old away and keep them separately with a bunch of other kids in some type of huge hallway. 
and they basically shut down an entire city. Forget about what it's going to do economically. They believed zero COVID is their goal. They are actually arresting mayors that allow some of these viruses to, in their term, get out of control. What is your take when you hear some of that video of them screaming at night for food and water? The Chinese, the CCP is treating their civilians, their citizens, the same way Putin is treating Ukrainians by keeping them locked up and starving them out. And as we as a country and as a globe have seen, COVID, there is no such thing as zero COVID. You cannot get to zero COVID, even with harsh lockdowns. And we have demonstrated ourselves, lockdowns in itself do not work. And that is causing far more damages to those people and the families. Um, than COVID really ever would. If they had done what we did and have a larger vaccine campaign about a year ago and targeting it towards the elderly and the nursing homes and the more people who are vulnerable to the virus, they would not have a rise in hospitalizations and deaths as they are likely seeing now. Again, they're not really releasing those numbers, so it doesn't seem like it's bad, but we know it is bad. Um, But they really flubbed when it came to the vaccine campaign because they only believe in lockdowns and they thought zero COVID was an option, and we know it's not. Uh, It's just horrific, and it also shows you too everyone kept saying well the chinese did it right they showed discipline listen to their leaders i don't think anybody says that including the chinese this other study this area of your another area of your expertise is cancer you do it every day trying to keep people cancer free and treat them when they aren't cancer there's a huge breakthrough story that i wanted to pull aside when i knew you were coming on the show analysis of thousands of tumors from the nhs Patients have identified a treasure trove of new clues about the causes of cancer. It's the biggest study of its kind. Uh, It came out of Cambridge University Hospitals. And uh, they look at the genomes of more than 12,000 people with cancer. They did it in England. They spotted 58 new patterns of DNA called mutational signatures. Scientists were aware of 51 mutational signatures before this new find. Identifying these signatures allows doctors to look at each patient's tumor and match it to a specific designer treatment and medication. So my cancer might be different than the person down the block's cancer, so why am I getting the same treatment? Is that where we're heading, specific attacks? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. So historically, someone would be diagnosed with cancer, and we would do our best to blast that cancer with toxic chemicals in form of chemotherapy, radiation, just blast it. But in the last decade or two, we have really looked at the genomic makeup of cancer and found the actual mutations, whether it's specific mutations to the cancer or specific mutations to the person's own DNA. We've been able to target that in forms of immunotherapy. And because of that, we are seeing decrease in cancer deaths because of these more targeted therapies in addition to earlier detection. I mean, we are just at the beginning of this. I can tell you in a couple decades from now, we are going to have even more incredible treatments. And I think, you know, we're already seeing it now, but cancer is not the same diagnosis today as it was 20 years ago. A lot of people have been living with cancer for years and decades, and it is almost turning to a chronic illness for people. And the only way that is happening is through some of these targeted immunotherapies. And do you find that uh, there's enough sharing of something like Cambridge comes up with uh, this new treasure trove of information? How soon till it ends up in a hospital your hospital. Well, unfortunately, we are still seeing a lot of the data mining and people do not want to actually share a lot of their data. And so it is difficult for big institutions. Countries we- or hospitals? Both. 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 Um, and I can tell you that a lot of money and resources are wasted, in my opinion, because you can have two very large institutions working on the exact same thing, which costs millions and millions of dollars. Um, and it's kind of a race to see who gets their First, in the United States, we are doing much better at sharing that data uh, more collectively with grants, um, but there is still a lot of um, international 
um, pining of data. And I think if we were to work together as a global entity much better, then we would have a lot more of these answers, treatments, and diagnostics available sooner. When you um, when you uh, hear about uh, advances are made, is there a pathway for you to go find it? For example, do you have do you have a hierarchy you have to go through in order to pursue a treatment that maybe a patient walks in and says, I just read about this study online. How do you go about pursuing what that patient has come up to you or what you might have heard? Well, gratefully and thankfully, uh, when people come and say that they are reading about a study online regarding cancer, it tends to come from the hospital that I work at because we are one of the largest cancer centers in the globe and run a lot of the um, cancer-specific trials. Um, But I can say sometimes it is very difficult, especially if you're trying to get a medication or a treatment um, that is still in clinical trials. Oftentimes, you have to go to that institution to get it. Obviously, insurance and payment can be a barrier as well. So, no, there's still a lot of red tape. um, But I think that there, especially Mm -hmm. under the Trump administration, there were uh, some measures put forth and right to try for patients to be able to try some of these medications still in um, research. Dr. Sapphire, now you have to focus on outnumbered. You have an hour to prepare. Is that enough time? I mean, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm always, you know, the odd man out on that couch. Not, not necessarily the man on the couch, but the odd man out of the couch. But I'll try my best. Go get him, Doc Sapphire. Watch you at noon. Thanks so much. Brian Kilmeade Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. So glad you're here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. We hope they're listening in the Ukraine. We'll be covering that story. Sandra Smith will be with us shortly. Hey, by the way, two of the finest anchors in the country, Shannon Bream, will be with me in a matter of moments. So that'll be great. Sandra Smith's doing the 9 o'clock for Dana, uh, 9 a.m., and then she's doing her show, and in between she's doing this show. So that's pretty cool. And uh, Shannon Bream is uh, never stops. And her book continues to be a bestseller. The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak. And speaking of speaking, why don't I get to the big three? Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we would tell you this morning is that we still assess that Mariupol is contested, that it hasn't been taken by the Russians, and that there's still an active Ukrainian resistance. So they continue to fight for that city. Not really sure about that. Uh, They're surviving. Russia is desperate for a May 9th victory day, so they think they have it with a win in Mariupol. Let's hope the Russian people and the world realize the war of choice that they put on Ukraine has been anything but glorious for that mass killer, Vladimir Putin. And by the way, Joe Biden gives 800 million more of lethal aid to help the Russian bear. My hope is it gets out of Poland and into the hands of the Ukrainians. Number two. In the past, I was the lonely voice on this. But now we got Democratic senators, uh, Democratic members of Congress that are not only looking at the P for policy, but they're also looking at the P for politics. This is not good for Democrats in November. I know. And it's too bad Henry Cuellar, who cares about the country more than politics, even has to bring up motivation. Disaster, even if the Dems can, even the Dems can recognize it. That's the crashing of our southern border, which is about to become a multiple country invasion. Should Title 42 melt away May 23rd, eight Democratic senators, 13 Democratic House members pushed the administration to wake up. 
Number one. People have wanted to deal with the special district for decades, but Disney had the political power to prevent it for decades. What's changed is by trying to bring California values to Florida. Floridians have said, all right, you're a guest in our state. Maybe you don't deserve those special privileges anymore. Yep, that's Randy Fine. Uh, that's what he was talking about from his position uh, in the in the as a lawmaker in Florida. Just a signature way. That's how close Republicans are to winning the battle against corporate woke culture and the radicals that force it on us. Case in point: Governor DeSantis clapping back at Disney's attack on the, his parental rights bill that will lead to their loss of self rule in the state of Florida. Keep in mind, this is not a uh, don't say gay bill. This is a don't bring up sexual orientation, sexual fluidity, uh, anything to do with genitalia from K through third grade. Please tell me why that would bring Jen Psaki to tears. You really want a first grader to bring that conversation home and not letting a kid be a kid? Shannon Bream joins me right now. Shannon, I know it breaks your heart because this is happening in Florida, but I think Governor DeSantis is doing the right thing. Listen, this is tricky. And what what struck me is with Jen Psaki being so emotional, as I thought, it's upsetting to me that families or kids who are struggling with these issues and walking through these things would feel like something's being done to target them because it's not accurately being portrayed to them. And to upset someone and to stir up passions for a political win is nothing new. Both sides have done it. But, I mean, there are real human beings at the middle of this thing. And I think, gosh, is Saki that upset or does she not understand what's going on with these bills? Um, if you read the text of them and talk them through with people, um, I think they calm down a lot. But there's so much misinformation. If they want to talk about misinformation, this bill is a perfect example of that and the way it's been portrayed by most people in the Media. Yeah, I think so, too. But is it laziness? I'm not asking you to read the Constitution. I'm asking you to read six right. pages. Well, and that's what always makes me wonder. Is it these people have read it and they know what's in it and they're portraying it as something else or they have not read the you know pay- bill that is not 50 pages long? That's true. Uh, so I don't know. You've, you've, I mean, you've been... I really don't. I want to feel like people are genuine. Um, I've been in D.C. long enough that I, I, I try to avoid cynical, but I'm definitely skeptical. Um, it's not a difficult bill to understand. And to go out there and to make families and kids feel fearful over something that is not a threat to them um, is really unconscionable. Yeah, here's Chris Sproles. I was on with the, he was on with me yesterday filling in for Jesse. Uh, and he's talking about how people are saying, yeah, there's going to be a problem. Florida's got, a, excuse me, Disney has a bond of maybe five, uh, a lot of money out there that maybe the whole state will be responsible for. Cut three. That criticism is a red herring that has been thrown out by, by critics who want to muddy the water and confuse things. The reality is nothing is further from the t- truth. You know, nothing is going to change as far as the collection of taxes. Nobody's taxes are going to go up. There, there's already a statute in Florida when we dissolve these sort of special taxing districts on how to deal with them. So I, I think that's something that's being thrown out in the days here because people are trying to create chaos. Uh, but the reality is there's 12 months from uh, when the governor signs the, the legislation to make sure that we resolve this special district in the way that makes the sense. So here's the thing. Uh, we remember what happened in, in North Carolina. They lost $5 billion worth of revenue from bank expansion to sporting events to entertainment activities to concerts. And now we know what happened in Georgia as they lost the All-Star Game and they were under all types of pressure not to do any movies in Atlanta in Georgia. I'm not sure how that panned out with the pandemic there anyway. And then you look at what happened now in Florida. Maybe, Shannon, this could be, be, could be the beginning of publicly traded companies staying out of politics. What about that? 
Well, let me ask you, because I always think of devil's advocate on these issues. That's the attorney in me. I adore Disney World. I grew up going there. My mom went there when she was pregnant with me. I was there before I was born. I've been a lot of times since then. I adore it. I do think that publicly traded companies have to think about their shareholders, and that means that you got to weigh the cost of whether you're going to get involved in controversial things or not. But, if, you know, you got to think about what if this was a blue state and Disney had taken some position that was conservative and, and pro-family, pro, you know, traditional marriage, that kind of thing, and people were very upset about that. Any Democratic governor, Democratic legislature is like, great, we're taking away your, um, you know, taxing and your authority and all of these special things that we gave you 50 years ago. I just always try to think, okay, if it happens on the other side, would you feel the same way? So well, I think that, I, I, I see the thing is I, I would we'd probably, if I think hard enough, I could probably think of an example uh, where the conservative pushback was there. See, I think most of the time, when you have uh, conservatives, by nature, by definition, they're trying to hold the, the status quo. And then it's the left that's trying to change the status quo. I think yeah, we- I mean, definitely upend society and, and change cultural norms as we've known them um, for decades, if not centuries, for sure. But I think that you know, there are ways to make your displeasure known to a company and to hurt them financially. Um, but when we have the government getting involved with that, that, you know, treating, you know, entities differently, corporations, businesses, whatever, because they're not happy about something, you well, just always Shana, have to think Shana, long how about term, this, what though? if it's your I think, I think there's one important thing to factor in to as you go, as you approach this legally. It was Florida didn't come out and say, I mean, excuse me, Disney, Disney just come out and say, uh, this is our stand of the bill. They said they're going to do everything they can to stop mm-hmm. and make sure it doesn't pass. So that's an or aggressive Or to try to repeal stance. it, which they can't do. Yeah, I mean, it's of a, course. It's a, so, like your elected legislators are the ones who passed this bill, and your, leg- and your elected governor signed it. Elections have consequences. So I think that's a ton of bluster from them, because what could they do? They're not going to mount the, the level of recall that would have to be to try to you know, strip right. a, a law off the books. I mean, maybe they try to work through elections, but that's a dangerous road for Disney to start picking and choosing candidates and parties and issues. If the whole premise of your company is you come here, your kids dress like, you know, princesses and heroes and they eat turkey legs for $20 a pop and have a great time. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things too. If you think about, if you think about with the CRT in Virginia, that's a, that's a school. We want to make sure that the CRT, if you're governor Yunkin, it's not taught in schools and parents take, uh, take, uh, you know, parents can take action. If, of course, mm-hmm. a company comes out against what the parents are doing, the parents have every right to, I believe, make it clear I'm not going to that restaurant. Right. You know, Chick-fil-A, for example. People were attacking about that, but they weren't trying to change behaviors. What they were trying to do is stay closed on Sunday. Their position with their CEO, I guess, on same-sex marriage, if I remember correctly, uh, was something that was a, uh, an issue at the time. Then mm-hmm. you can make your choice whether you're going there. But what you have is a special privilege with Disney. It's not like we're kicking you out. But listen, if this state's going to offer you this, at the same time you're going to attack legislation, I got the every reason to to clap back in this circumstance. My hope is that what happened when Georgia was absolutely ridiculous. They let a slogan, Jim Crow 2.0, guide them to leave the All-Star game. And Stacey Abrams is is embarrassed that she played a role in the loss of revenue in that state Mm -hmm. for something that was inaccurately portrayed. Again, don't say gay, Bill. At first I thought to myself, did they did that? Is that really in the bill? You wouldn't say nope. that if it was in the bill. Of course yeah. it's not in the bill. And then I said, well, it's probably so, so meshed in with legal terms, people are going to be able to interpret it. No, it's nope. not. It reads like something for a non-lawyer to digest. 
Mm -hmm. Well, and it's just like so many other things. It gives further proof to the argument that the mainstream media takes sides. Because when you have reporters and people who call themselves journalists using the label Don't Say Gay Bill, where if they read it and they're being honest is not an accurate description of the bill, you know that people are taking sides. And so a lot of people aren't like us that are in the weeds and we love to read all these things and dig into these stories. They hear something in passing and they believe that about the Georgia bill, about the Florida bill, about any number of things, Texas and other places. Um, If they don't do the footwork and read for themselves, they're going to take it at face value. And the mainstream media knows that. And they use that to stir people up. When we talk about the Georgia bill, and you look at the things about early voting provisions, all that kind of stuff, it's much more expansive than, say, Delaware, the president's home state. And you will never hear that explained anywhere but on Brian Kilmeade's shows. Right, exactly, or Shannon Bream. Uh, Yeah, I'll do it. Josh Crashauer was on one of your uh, arch rivals show, uh, Brett Bear. You guys have had a bitter, bitter relationship. (laughs) But he came out just in order to – Give somebody the other side of the story. This is what he said politically is at stake for DeSantis. He does not like what DeSantis did. Cut six. But he's taking a big risk because DeSantis could have just pocketed the win. He got the the parental rights bill passed pretty comfortably. He could have moved on, worked with Disney on other issues, and and, and really won the, the larger battle. Instead, he's really picking a big fight that it could have uncertain implications and could also push Disney in the arms of the Democrats, which might not be all that great for DeSantis's personal interests, and it might not be great for the larger culture war issues that are also at play here. I have a thought on that, but I wanted yours. Well, of course, I think DeSantis thinks these things through, and he calculates, and he knows there's going to be, you know, things and people who don't agree with him on this stuff. But to say that, um, you know, Disney may fall into the hands of, Josh said, the Democrats or the left, listen, the way that they're doing their programming and their movies and their messaging to kids, they may be doing that on their own anyway. I think that this was a good opportunity for DeSantis if he's trying to make his name, as I think he is, on the national stage, and people are watching him, and they have for the last couple of years in a really intense way. Um, this is a battle he was willing to choose, and he, I think he's he's made the political calculation and thinks this is a winner for him. So what I did, Shannon, over the last few weeks trying to get a hold of this story is to find out what the CEO is like and what Disney's been doing. Evidently, they have 38 lobbyists. They do a great job, uh, usually, uh, giving money to both sides to make mm-hmm. sure things like this autonomous zone that they're in stays, stays their own because they want to be able to build things instantly from the planning board to starting right. to put pylons in. Uh, because they don't want to have to go through districts and counties and state laws. They want to be their own environmental impact. That's going to go away. Mm -hmm. This CEO has lost his way. He has kowtowed to a group of people within his own company who believe that this don't say gay bill is don't say gay bill and is anti-transgender. But there's a lot of people at Disney who don't feel that way, who keep their mouths shut. And now they're probably saying, good, I don't have to get in a fight. I can keep my job. And people are seeing the downside of this. I think it's the beginning of the end of this CEO. How could they want to keep this guy in? Yeah, they, they, I think he missed an opportunity to say, like, hey, let's talk about this. Let's have a Disney town hall. Let's read the bill together, and let's ratchet down the temperature and make this accurate so you don't feel afraid or attacked or like you or your children are under threat. I think a good leader would have done that, and you take the time to do that. you got to remember, Disney does company um, – the company does business in countries all over the place in which homosexuality is a crime – 
and they do co- they do business in countries where there are horrible um, persecuted minorities uh, that atro- atrocious things happen and people are killed. So if Disney wants to be consistent, why don't you start in some of those places where these are real threats to people? Talk about consistent. How about the antithesis? How about Joe Biden getting a question on Title 42 but thinking it's about the mass mandate? Uh, case in point, cut eight. Are you considering delaying lifting Title 42? No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, uh, my uh, well, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if, in fact, it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. Oh, boy. (laughs) That is the best comment ever. It's hard to be a news person with that. I know. Yeah, I have a text group of girlfriends who have worked in a lot of different political things and are all over Washington, and we're all immediately texting each other like, am I confused? Because listen, (laughs) you and I keep hours where I don't even know what city I'm in half the time, and I'm exhausted. But did he just intermingle the mask and the Title 42 thing? Like, this is the president. These are big issues. (laughs) We were all like, are we confused or is he confused? Which you saw the statement that came out pretty quickly after that, trying to clean the whole thing up. But can you imagine if President Trump had done that? It would be like we have to convene Article or, or you know, the 25th Amendment today because the guy can't handle the job. So, Shannon, I'll, like I'll, I'll say media this. Consistent. I have this thing. My short-term memory, my names and faces, I've always been terrible at that. But if I'm in the middle of two major stories, which is the mass mandate in Title 42, I don't mix. It's impossible to mix them up. It's, it's like Mets and Yankees, uh, Red Sox and Yankees. No. I mean, it's, it's yes or no. I mean, this is... Title 42 is what? And my goodness, you better have a great explanation of why you're letting it go away because you have really rocked the world of a lot of Democrats. How can you mix them together? Hey, what can we expect tonight at midnight? You know what? I've got a special exclusive sit down with the coach who was fired after uh, praying on the football field. His case goes to the Supreme Court on Monday. You'll get to meet him tonight. All right, great. Shannon Bream, we're going to pick up your book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, uh, Lessons on Faith from the Nine Biblical Families. Shannon, thanks. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Think about some also some other wars we've had. The Korean War never had a formal end. Here we are three quarters of a century later. In some ways, the Gulf War uh, uh, didn't. Or some wars that do have formal ends, like Afghanistan, the papers that are signed are, 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 are meaningless. So again, we may have to think about something that's much more open-ended, low-level fighting continuing, occasional flare-ups. And then we have to think about what does U.S. foreign policy look like towards Russia in that environment and towards Europe in that environment. This, this could be a long-term game-changer for, for Europe and for the United States. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't like the way you describe that. I can't see this going on forever. Richard Haas weighing in. Uh, he's the president of the Council of Foreign Relations. Obviously, his credentials uh, tell you how important he is and how smart he is and how experienced he is with great contacts. But this can't last forever. And because you can't have this ongoing festering blister that's going to continue to rise up. One thing I will say, I believe that this is the wake-up call that we've been waiting for Western Europe to get 
They keep hitting the snooze alarm since the wall fell in 91 and, and the Soviet Union fell apart. And I think there's going to be a scramble. There's going to be a real scramble to start arming these Eastern European nations, get them fully integrated into NATO. We're up to 30. We started with 12. We're about to add two more, Finland and Sweden, as early as June and July. And then we got to integrate our weapon systems so we don't have this Eastern European problem to match up with Ukraine like Ukraine has now. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The second big reason for inflation is gas prices. And it's Vladimir Putin's gas prices. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has driven up gas prices and food prices all around the world. We saw that in the most recent inflation data. Last month, 70% of the increase in inflation was a consequence of Putin's price hike because of the impact on gas and energy prices. Don't blame me. It's all Putin. It's supply chain. It's COVID. Sandra Smith knows that, or she knows the story, uh, that the administration spouting from uh, 9 to 11, you saw already, you're going to see her from 2 to 4 today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for being here, Sandra (laughs) Smith. Um, You mean 1 to 3. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is it one that you don't do it? Nah, I should have known okay. that. It's okay. It's okay. You know why? Because you put me on a two all the time. So <laughs> That's true. I've, I've led the and last. And you figure if I have you on a two, you're our leadoff. I could figure there is no show until I get there, right? <laughs> I figured that if they could have got me in at one, why would they wait till I two? I actually hesitated because I thought you probably had a rationale for thinking the show was two to four, right. but that's okay. Uh, um, thank you very much for having me. Um, we've been digging, digging into this all morning. I've been uh, with our colleague, Bill Hemmer. Uh, on America's newsroom, and it is really something, even as you play back the sound of President Biden continually and the administration still blaming what is happening over there with Russia and Ukraine for the price hikes. As all of our listeners and our viewers know by now, prices were going up long before that invasion ever happened. We were having supply chain woes. Uh, We were having constant uh, problems, and people were already experiencing um, inflation. When you look at wages, this is very simple. <laughs> the administration likes to tout uh, the unemployment numbers are coming down. Uh, wages are going up. That's all factual, and that is fine. But it does nothing to the average American or nothing for the average American if inflation at the same time is going up faster. And that is what is happening. And that is why when you hear Larry Kudlow and others talk about real wage growth, that is actually going down. You know, what's interesting, it wasn't in this clip, but Elizabeth Warren has said this, and we've heard a lot of Democrats say this, Bernie Sanders, big business is gouging. They're taking advantage of inflation, and they're, uh, they're trying to maximize profits. How dare they? They're evil. But I want you to hear what Fred Smith said, as you know, mm, CEO yeah. of Federal Express. It's a combination of a lot of things that began with the pandemic and the instant reduction of demand and then the stimulus payments created demand for goods and then the third stimulus payment about a year ago created a significant labor shortage and all of those went together to create the situation we have today with too many dollars chasing too few uh, goods and still many many uh, jobs unfilled so inflation is a big problem no question about it. And he, he goes out of his way to say, I'm not a Republican or Democrat. I'm just telling you what, my, what the business says, what's happening. 
Yeah. I, and and I, I said this towards the end of the show this morning, too. When it comes to uh, the green energy agenda, and really the cost is inflation to all of us is a lot, uh, from a lot of the president's policies uh, on that issue, Where's where is the touting of the success on any of those green policy issues? I don't know. Where's the quantifiable evidence point. that anything they are doing is working? That that question needs to be asked of Democrats who are supporting this administration and that are supporting these policies. Where is that? As far as I can tell, the only effect so far is a negative impact as far as inflation on the American people. Now, how do we get a hold of it? I think this is going to be an interesting thing to watch. And we have moments in history we can look back at. And Jay Powell, the the Fed chair, he likes to talk about a man he revered in his day, Paul Volcker. And he talks about it, but he doesn't act like him. Two very different things. Larry Kudlow and I talk about that a lot. Where is the aggressive approach to strangling this inflation? It has to happen. No, it's what, what we have, in, and this is an opinion. This is fact. We have a lot of blaming. First, we tell we have an uh, inaccurate uh, diagnosis. It's transitory. Don't worry about it. For a and then we time. have a lot of blaming. And blaming doesn't help anything. Yeah. We're not doing the after-action report on the presidency. We're in the middle of the action. Here's more from Fred Smith on where it came from. And this echoes Larry Summers. I'm not making any political statement one way or another, but... We know from our own statistics and can track exactly when the stimulus checks went out in April of May and last year, and we had about 50,000 applications the first week in May. It took us to December uh, to get back to about 120,000 applications. So it's simply quantitative data. I'm not saying anything based on anybody's politics. It's just the numbers. So that's what Larry Summers said. The rescue plan that we didn't need uh, was in the system. Now, Larry Summers said uh, maybe it was because Larry Summers got pressure, but he also said Build Back Better would have been great for the economy. And one of the things that you mentioned about what they're doing, Sandra, what they're trying to do is going to try to convince Joe Manchin to do a skinny Build Back Better. They think that will be the answer to our economic Speaking struggles. of people who got it right, Larry Summers got it right on inflation when nobody was listening. The administration, Jay Powell and others, still calling it transitory at that time. Um, as far as nobody listening, I, I think, bottom line, the American people are speaking up louder than anybody in the room right now. Mitt Romney was an unlikely voice in all of this yesterday and he came up and he said he's asking the question who's advising the president he needs to get rid of says Mitt Romney his woke advisors dig into some of the people that are advising the president on the economy Brian Deese do you know what his job was in his former life at BlackRock no he was head of sustainability what does that mean that is the person (laughs) advising the president during an energy and inflation crisis you have to think about where his priorities are Jen Granholm and others. And these people won't talk to the press. Brian, I know you probably do. We invite them on every single day. They won't come on and talk about their policies that they're so proud of. All right. So Larry Summers, he got it right. A lot of uh, a lot of people are asking why they didn't White House didn't put somebody like Larry Summers in there. I mean, he's gotten this right all along. Right. Why not put somebody in that's going to get it done? I went with the best people around me. I don't care what their party is. And I also would just say, too, if Joe Biden, what I thought Joe Biden was going to do is say, hey, listen, I've been doing this 50 years. I actually know who the smartest people are, men and women. I don't care what they are. Men and women, let's put, let's put the best people around me. I'll look great. Yeah. Almost like just put, you know, be the conductor in the orchestra and Absolutely. put your trombone player and your French horn player together and, and go ahead and do it and yeah. then defend them. And if they can't do it or want to move on, you do it. But instead, we got an invisible team of Susan Rice, yep. 
uh, behind the scenes and Ron Klain, who pops up every once in a while or tweets something obnoxious. Or the Easter Bunny. Um, right. And then you have to ask yourself what's going to happen with, with food prices. Everything that's happening over in Ukraine, you've got the squeeze that is happening all over the world. One of the headlines that we were grabbing this morning, data from the American Farm Bureau, uh, that farms are facing long-term challenges as production costs continue to skyrocket. These are fifth-generation farmers that are speaking out about this. Think about everything that's going in to providing food for the world, which we do, Brian. I mean, you're talking about fertilizer costs, fuel costs, equipment costs. The price of absolutely everything is going higher. That will continue to lead to higher prices for everything that we're putting uh, on the dinner table for our families right. every day. Say, say, Allison, why are you not looking at the farm reports for me? Ah. I mean, it makes me look terrible that Sandra has staff looking at the farm reports. What the hell is going on? Eric, you could be doing it too. <laughs> no, you're not going to look at that? As you know, we're slackers, Brian. Yeah, slackers. Let me, let me just you tell just you. embarrass me. This is Chris Pollock. He's the co-owner of Pollock View Dairy. He says it is going to be a very expensive year for farmers, we are going to the field with very expensive tools in our toolbox. Fertilizer right now is double what it was a year ago. Fuel is double what it was. Some chemicals are dramatically increased as much as three to four times. The cost of fertilizer alone has risen more than 300% in some areas. Who's sitting around and thinking about that? You have to think about that. Is the administration? I don't Probably know. Probably not. That's something you have to have on your radar and plan for. Otherwise, we're going to have serious Food price spikes and pain. uh, I don't know what I don't know, but I just know this. Uh, European leaders were scrambling to find other, other, um, other sources of oil and gas. We kept getting reports of Germany over in the UAE and uh, trying to convince Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. let me be your best customer. And same, same with the UK and others. Now, we know that grain found out now. We know that uh, Russia has always produced huge uh, quantities of grain, as is Ukraine. So as soon as this war starts or when the 150,000 start welling up at the border, yep. shouldn't we be saying to ourselves what Brazil did? I really can't. And I don't, I don't agree with this decision. They said I can't turn on Russia. They have the only fertilizer that works. For my crops, so I gotta, uh, I gotta go and meet and try to head off this war. And he didn't. I don't agree the way Brazil handled it, but he used on our own self-interest. Mm-hmm. Where's people looking around the corner to the challenges that could be happening economically as the economy grind to a halt? It took, I guess, the research of the press to find out what's going on at our ports, and then we find out our transportation secretary is on paternity leave. And then he decides, Can't I have an out. idea, let's make the docks, let's have work 24 hours a day. Yeah. Then we realize we don't have any truck drivers, and then we now have a port czar. And then to make matters worse, what is becoming a bigger and bigger story by the day, and now the B word is being thrown out there, possible housing bubble happening in this country. You saw the data uh, yesterday, the average home price in this country now nearing $400,000. I mean, we've never seen prices that high before, ever. That cannot last, especially with affordability going down, interest rates going up. Look what they just did in Canada. I'm sure you saw this. No, I didn't. They've decided to, because they're experiencing a similar uh, housing price boom and spike. Nobody's using the bubble word yet, but what they've decided to do is ban all foreign purchases of homes in Canada. Interesting, right? Could you imagine anything like that ever happening here? I put in a brain room re, uh, uh, research request right away on that. What percent of our house sales in the United States do you think 
are foreign buyers. I would say 10%. I would too. That's why I questioned the response I got. And this is based on existing home sale data. It was 3%. I think if you incorporate new home sales and probably a lot of deals that aren't accurately reported, it might be more in the to the tune of 10%. But that's going to have a serious impact on their overall economy and housing market. Absolutely. No more foreign buyers. Uh, that would be interesting. Also, this new trend featured on 60 Minutes about a month ago that I'm hearing more and more about. Are these major companies coming in and buying up homes, fixing them up, yep. and then jacking up the rates, making it almost impossible, especially to get the first time. And a lot of big home. banks are behind that. Right. So, I mean, that, don't you think, I don't, I'm not for government controls of these types of things, but if you are... If you are what you know rigging the game in order to stop first time home buyers to be able to deal directly with other home buy you know home sellers, I think that's a, a bit of an issue that needs to be examined. Well, in a free market, that that corrects itself. Look, that's reminiscent of the housing crisis. So and you the, think that people will not be able to afford it? They're not going to get the buyers, and therefore, well, eventually, high prices cure high prices. And if they keep doing that and run the prices up, somebody's going to get stuck with that inventory. Right. And if it's the banks, they'll pay for it. Absolutely. And things will go back to normal. All right, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the Ukrainian war. Also, uh, tease your show. What, before we go, what's coming up on your show? All right, so today we're going to be digging into what is happening on the ground in Ukraine, obviously, as things continue to heat up in the east. Uh, the new weapons package, is it enough? General Keene says we have to go all in. We're going to have Griff Jenkins live on the ground in Kiev right out of the gate. And we're also following this crazy crime story here in New York City, crime running rampant all over the country. Uh, and also, by the way, I'm going to be hosting Fox News Sunday this weekend. All right. So I'll talk about that as wow. well. Wow. You're not going to have a weekend, but you're okay with that. Because <laughs> okay Saturday, that. you have to really prepare all day, don't you? All day. Yeah. And it's, it's a pleasure and an honor. Bill Hammer also told me, he goes, Brian, it's the loneliest thing. It's Because you're by yourself and sure. all the whole staff's in Washington, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, but happy okay. to do it. All right. So if you have some time and you know Sandy... <laughs> Interrupt her day because she was going to be very lonely on Saturday, but we're all going to be watching. Am I coming back or are you saying bye to me? I'm not saying goodbye to you, okay. unless you want me to. <laughs> uh, back with some final thoughts to talk a little Ukraine in a moment. Right. Brian Kilmeade Show. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, gut build. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We are getting them in there. We won't always be able to advertise everything we uh, that our partners are doing to support Ukraine and fight for freedom, but to modernize Teddy Roosevelt's famous advice, sometimes we will speak softly and carry a large javelin. You know, you got to take Mr. Putin's uh, words, uh, you know, uh, skeptically. Uh, so I, they made this big show yesterday of, of him saying he wasn't going to go into that plant and, uh, and try to eradicate the people that are there. Uh, actions, not words. I think we have to watch and see what the Russians actually do here. What we would tell you this morning is that we still assess that Mariupol is contested, that it hasn't been taken by the Russians, and that there's still an active Ukrainian resistance. So they continue to fight for that city. That's what they want, and they want to declare it on May 9th, their, their victory day, and they want to say, look, we took Mariupol, and we're going to connect our Crimea and Donbass like Lenin wanted. Sandra Smith is here getting set to host her show between 1 and 3 today, and Fox News Sunday as well. So we're rushing $800 million more in, Sandra, uh, and these are some uh, probably the heaviest, most lethal weapons yet. What are your thoughts? 
uh, significant, says General Jack Keane, when I spoke to him and asked him about that yesterday, whether or not this could be a turning point or at least turn the tide as far as what is happening on the ground there. While he did say it was significant, he uh, says at this point, though, we need more and we need to go all in. Uh, so we will uh, have yet to see whether or not the administration, our our country is going to commit to that and go all in. Um, but you have to think about what is happening in this moment and just how bad things are getting. You, you look at what is happening in the East right now. As I mentioned, Griff Jenkins is going to re- be reporting for us top of the one o'clock Eastern time hour uh, from Kiev. <clears throat> but as far as these the revelations uh, and the satellite imagery now from Maxar Technologies that is revealing these mass graves, um, still 100,000 people trapped in Mariupol. Uh, that has been under constant bombardment. Um, but these satellite imagery showing these mass graves, I mean, you have to think about in this moment the thought of the Biden administration providing that aid package while significant, while necessary. How much more could have been done sooner so as to not lead us to this point? Especially the missile war. defense systems. Absolutely. And, and that's key. Here's what you know, here, as you look at the play by play and you go to do the. Uh, the Institute of Study of War, if you want the best information. Yep. And Jack Keane runs that. Yep. This is what he said is a real possibility. Cut 26. The Russians, if they're successful here, will have a choice to make. Do they continue to go west right. or do they go back to Kiev to see if they can take the capital down? Got but it. the truth is, the Ukrainians have a real chance here to deny Russians the Donbass area. We've got to keep these ammunition and weapon systems coming. And right now they've deployed something between 70 and 80 percent of their entire fighting force in this area. And they have 20,000 foreign fighters. They're all in on this. If they get stopped here, the Russians, I mean, you got to think this. This is almost equivalent to the wall coming down. How are they going to how is this government going to keep selling this story? There's no doubt the world is watching the fate of Mariupol at this point. That's why I keep talking to General Keene about about just that. But then you've got to look at some of these other existing towns that wonder if they are next as far as the fate of Mariupol. Um, the AIDS package, I think, you know, in this moment, we see the administration trying to dive deeper into a war that we no longer have any clue how long it will last, how bloody it will get, how deadly it will get. Um, and I think you have to put everything in perspective timing-wise. I just wrote it down. Are we in fi- are we in day 57 Yeah. now? It was supposed to be 72 hours. It was supposed to fall. And Zelensky was supposed that. to be dead unless he left. I mean, your heart just breaks for these people. Um, 20,000 people in Mariupol alone have died during the assault there. And right. so many more are in harm's way. Um, it is absolutely heartbreaking. We will see how the world responds. I know you've got a big interview coming up this weekend as well. Brian. All right. Yeah, of course. Listen to Watch My Show at 8 and Sandra's show today. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.